Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of our Brothers Creed podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and this time explore what the world has has offered, has already offered, yeah, has already offered. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, this great country, some of its founding fathers, and some true American heroes. So, I'm we're the Thomas Brothers. I'm Ethan. I'm Jared. And uh, this episode is actually going to be released during the week of the uh, U.S. presidential election. So uh, November fourth uh, is the is the election day, and we're excited about it. Yeah, definitely excited. I think that this is a a time in our in our country where there's a lot of division, and so we decided to do an episode about kind of those American heroes around the time of the American Revolution. Uh, that's far enough back where I think most people can agree that uh, you know a lot of people sacrifice some good stuff, and we just want to kind of do an episode where that would unite people and uh, kind of show that whether you're on the left or the right or in the middle, uh, that there's a lot of good out there, and that as we learn about these heroes and what they've done for us, then we can apply some of that in our own lives and and appreciate their sacrifices that they made. Yeah, sounds good. Well, let's get to it. Let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done! Okay, so yeah, I, I like what you said. As we started, just there, there's there's a lot of division in the country right now, um, and you know whether you're you're left, right, center, or, or or whatever. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of good out there. I think a lot of times we focus on um, we focus on the bad, or we focus on uh, what 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 we we don't like. And I think there's a lot more things that we have in common that we that we do like and that we can enjoy as a as a country. Um, that's out there. So it's interesting today. We're going to be talking about some of these, some of these founding fathers. Um, there's lots of founding fathers that were, um, at the, at the beginning part of the growth and the formation of this country itself. And, um, I wanted to say as well with founding fathers is that, you know, there's a lot of, uh, men that, um, uh, and women, yeah, that were part of signing the Constitution and everything's like that. But there are so many um, women that are as well part of the formation of this country that uh, I think a lot of times kind of go un- underlooked, and you don't particularly hear yeah, those, so. hear those types of stories. Um, but I just thought it was important to to mention got, as well. One of the stories that I'm going to share today is it has a woman in it. Good, good. So yeah, and I think a lot of times we it's it's easy to look backwards at some of these founding fathers and say, oh, well, he did this and he did that and he had an affair or he did this or whatever it may be. Um, and to look back and say, oh, well, he's a terrible person. Um, but the the only one that's perfect is is not us, right? I mean, every single one of us is imperfect. And if our standard of holding people is perfection, then I don't think that's a fair standard. Um, yeah, I agree. You know, and and especially in this time where people were really trying to 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 create freedom and create a future for themselves and their posterity, um, you know, it's it's easy to look back and and if you dig hard enough, you can find dirt on anyone. You know, any of these founding fathers. Oh well, you know, 
they did this and it's bad, so let's never talk about them again. I don't think that's completely right. You know, if if someone looked into my past and and picked out every bad thing that I've ever done, then you know, I I, I would but say that, I, that leaves no room for improvement or or bettering yourself. But you know, you could argue that. I mean, you look at anybody who's ever done anything great, and there's probably something that they have done great. History is not so black and white as people mm-hmm. think. And, you know, you get people that do really great things, people that, you know, and they might have some issues in their personal life. I mean, great artists, great uh, actors, or, or, or great philosophers, you know, sometimes they have demons in their own life. Yeah. And so that can be... Yeah. And I think as a whole, you want to be able to look back and say that that person contributed a net positive. Yeah. In in this life and in their life, so that's that's the idea, right? You could just be net positive in this life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's 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 everyone's hope. Um, but someone who I'm going to talk about today, who I picked as kind of an, an American hero that I, that I've always really kind of stood behind. Um, it's a little bit harder to find that dark side for, and I don't know if it's just because maybe it was really a long time ago or because he was really that good of a guy. But I'm going to be talking about George Washington. Um, Classic. Yeah. And and it's it's just, it's really cool. So George Washington was born in uh, February 22nd, 1732 in Virginia. Um, the 30s. Yeah. And um, so he came from a very prominent family. Um, his, his, I think, grandfather had come over in like 1655 or something like that. And um, from from Great Britain, and so he was a, a generational uh, colonist and um, first uh, first generation colonist. Yeah, uh, well, his, I guess his, well, his, his, his dad came his, over. His, so his, he his, was his the, grandfather came over. Okay, actually. grandfather. Yeah. Um, so it, it, he 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 had those roots, um, and he was a generation of of you know I guess purebred Americans at that point. Um, you know, I guess they weren't called Americans because they were still colonists. they were still the 13 colonies, the colonists. Yeah. They were still um, underneath the rule of, of Great Britain at that time. You know where, do you remember where he moved to? Where he lived? Oh, it was, a Virginia, it was Virginia. Yeah, it was yeah, a Virginia. Virginia. Yeah, he was born in Virginia. And that, that's kind of where their um, family property was uh, in Mount Vernon. Um, and that was where he he lived. And then he, he went... And, and basically lived his whole life within the war and then the presidency and everything else. And then he went and he retired back in, in Mount Vernon. Um, so uh, a little bit about really, I'm going to share a couple of stories about George Washington that I really liked. Um, but to start out, I want to just give some brief background around the um, the Revolutionary War. He was a key military leader in the Re- American Revolutionary War, uh, some people call it the War of Independence as well, and that war was from 1775 to 1783. 1775? Yeah. Uh, was the Declaration signed in 1776? 1776. Yeah. So, the, so I guess officially the war started um, with what they call the shot heard around the world at Lexington and Concord. Okay. Um, and then uh, at that point, I think it just it just continued to grow. But I think the the um, 77 was that the the shot heard was that the that yeah, that was that a, yeah, that was the, the some of the colonists um, basically got in an the, altercation the mass, with some, the Boston uh, yeah, what was it with the snow fight and then they got into a tough with the soldiers. Yeah, they did, and and basically that was kind of the it was already a tinderbox. Yeah, yeah. I mean the colonists and 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 the occupying British forces um, redcoats. Yeah, they were 
they were at, at arms with each other. Yeah. Um, and really, the, the the kind of the main reason behind the war was the thirteen colonies. Um, obviously, were were declaring their independence from Great Britain, but it was over taxation and a lack of colonial representation in the um, the Great Great Britain Parliament. Um, and there no, had no taxation without representation. Yeah, no taxation without representation. And it was interesting because I was I was reading and 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 I like historical um, accounts anyway. Um, but I was reading, and I guess there was a lot of of wars that, you know, Brit- Great Britain at that at that time was they were colonizing all over the world, and they had lots of colonies, and they were um, taking over uh, nations and different things like that. And the, the sun never sets on the British Empire, right? Yeah, kind of like the Roman Empire, and it was just it it, it was really expensive. And so, to a certain extent, the colonists, uh, after some of these major wars, the the um, the British government they were hurting financially, and so that is where some of that taxation, a lot of that taxation, came. Is that the the colonists they didn't want to be responsible for, for paying for the wars of what they felt was a completely different country because they were autonomous. I mean, you have to think at that time. It took what three months to send a message across the, or, or longer, however long it took to send a message across the Atlantic in order to, um, you know, even communicate. So they were completely independent. They ran their own society. They ran their own government to a certain extent, but they were still under the rule and taxation laws of um, this overarching uh, governance of, of Great Britain. So, yeah. thanks for the history rundown. Yeah, yeah. So George Washington, right? Um, there are many reasons why I think George Washington was was really a, a great leader. And I was going through some of the battles that that I thought kind of stuck out um, to me. And, and there's really a lot of a lot of different points that I felt that he demonstrated that leadership. Whether it was leadership for his for his, for the protection of his men, there was a lot of controversy between the military. And um, and basically Congress and the government at that point, right? There was liaisons from Congress that they would send out to the military, to George Washington's forces, and they would basically go out there to check and see how things were. But there are certain parts of the war where the, the troops were, they were starving, oh, and yeah. they were... Um, they were freezing and dying. I mean, they were dying by the thousands throughout the winter because they they, they weren't receiving the the supplies that they needed yeah. to to not only survive but to to battle. Um, and George Washington would just send letter after letter after letter begging Congress to uh, and the government to send more aid. We need more. We need more. You know, we're we're dying here. Um, you know, more people are dying that in, in, in some of these winters than are by opposing forces. And they would send liaisons, and there's some stories of some of these lia- these government liaisons would come out, and they would say, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine, and because they just wanted power. Um, but George Washington, he, he... He's like, it's not fine, look at this. Yeah, seriously, there's people dying, and there's it, it's not fine. And so... Uh, he was really torn um, over that, and and he basically dedicated most of his life to bettering this this country um, and building something for future generations for us um, to to continue to to move forward. So, yeah. Um, 
one of my favorite stories of George Washington is it's um basically it's called the the Newburgh conspiracy and is this a conspiracy theory or is this a, a no, no, true no, no. This, conspiracy? No, this is this is a true conspiracy. Okay. Basically, it was um, so at towards the end of the war, uh, the government, the United States government at that point, um, the independent government, they were broke, and yeah. they had promised uh, military officers. They uh, basically they had promised them um, their salary throughout the war, and then. They promised them a fifty percent pension for the rest of their life. That was, you know, for these military officers, and there was a lot of them. I, I can't, I don't know how many, but there was, there was a lot. Um, and they were getting close to the end of the war, and they hadn't been paid for several months or even up to a year in some cases um, already. And the the horizon looking for, you know, what is our pension going to look like? Uh, there was, it had still remained unfunded and there was little hope on the horizon. It was actually going to be realized oh, man. Um, and they're actually going to receive it. So that's like the rest of their life and they're not receiving what they were promised their compensation would be. And so that's where kind of there, there was a military coup that started cooking up between all of these military officers. And, the officers they they band together, basically with hopes to overthrow Congress and basically take over the government. The military would take over the government, and this was in uh, Newburgh. That's where they were. That's where the the fort was that they were stationed at, and this is where kind of all of this this coup started up. Um, well. A couple of these officers, they put together the Newburgh papers or the Newburgh letters, I think is what it was called. And basically it was like their uh, their plans. And as part of that letter, uh, some of the officers, they took it to George Washington, who was unaware of this at this point. They took it to George Washington and say, this is what we are thinking and we want you to be king. Really? Yeah. And uh, basically, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a generational kingship. Uh, I think they called it a, a congressional king or constitutional king, uh, something like that, uh, where it was more of a. Um, it wasn't like you know his son was going to be king after him, and it was going to be king after him, and king after him. So, but they wanted him to be king. And what my favorite part of the story is is George Washington's response to that. So. Literally, he was in command of these forces. He could have charged the the, the White House. The, or the, yeah, the, the, it was in Philadelphia at that point, I think, and they could have charged there. They could have taken over Congress, and he could have ruled the entire nation. Um, I think our country would look significantly different if that was the case. Yeah, but he was um, he was the type of guy. I feel like he was humble enough. Uh, to where he wasn't seeking power like that. You know, he, he basically, his response was an immediate, absolutely not. We literally just fought and died to get away from that. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I'm not going to send our country, our free country, right back into it by doing that. 
So, so he, he called a, a meeting all together with all the military leaders, or uh, there's, there's several different accounts that say that they, he actually barged into one of their meetings that they were holding, um, with one of their planning meetings, and he went up in front of them and he gave a, a very powerful um, speech to them and basically was telling them, don't do this. Um, what did he say? He said... Um, so he refused to be their king, and he pleaded with them to trust and support Congress and the government that they had created, that they had spent all this time to create. Um, and most of the men at that time trusted him, and they backed down. They agreed. He convinced them not to do it. I'm sure that there were some that were still probably upset and wanted to do it, but they mm-hmm. respected him enough um, to say, you know what? Okay. Yeah. But he got into the presidency anyway. So I think the real the real kicker is when he stepped down as president or he allowed another president to be voted in. That's the real... The transfer of a peaceful transfer of power is really what makes a, a yeah. democracy work. Yeah, for sure. And and so he got to that point and actually he ended up being kind of pivotal in, in, in the conversations to Congress and what they ended up figuring out for these military officers was they paid them all their back pay and then they paid them a full salary for five years instead of the half pension for the rest of their life. Oh, wow. So, you know, obviously, I'd prefer probably the half pension for the rest of my life. Well, I don't know. Well, and that's most times, the life the life expectancy was shorter. <laughs> I guess that's true. And, and these military officers were probably in there, I think it was like in 1866, the life expectancy was like 40-something, like mid-40s. And so, um, it's not very old at all. Yeah. So maybe I would have taken the five years. Um, but you know, he, he had a chance at that point to be King and he didn't do it. Um, his, his humility and, and probably true belief of the progression of this country as a whole. Um, he just, he, he didn't, he didn't feel that he was large enough to take away from, from those future generations. Um, so that's something really cool about George Washington that, that I that I saw. And that is a cool story. Uh, that's I didn't I didn't know about that. Um, the whole uh, that Newberg conspiracy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, my uh, um, the guy that one of the guys that I had chosen. Uh, he was one of the other signers of the Declaration of Independence. In fact, uh, I just had a little blurb here about uh, the other one. It says there was fifty six of them total in total, and it says five of the fifty six were captured by the British and tortured. 12 lost their homes through looting, uh, confiscation, or, or burning them to the ground. Uh, 17 lost their fortunes. Two lost sons in the military, while another two sons were captured. And nine lost their lives. And so it just goes to show the, the sacrifice of these 56 men who, who signed the Declaration of Independence. One of them, uh, his name was Thomas Nelson Jr. And uh, it's just kind of funny. Uh, our mom had said, oh, we're related to this guy. And so I actually looked it up, how we're related to this guy. And it's like 11th cousin once removed. I mean, he's so far away. It's like uh, basically anybody, random person on the street, I'm probably more closely related to them than I am this guy. Hey, blood is blood, man. But uh, it was it's so far back. But And then in a different line and then almost equally far down. So uh, just kind of funny. But 
his story is really cool. So he was a son of a merchant family, wealthy merchant family, uh, and he was him and his dad were involved in several uh, colonial boycotts at the time. Uh, he lived in Virginia, so he inherited a large fortune. They were all they were really against the whole taxation thing, and and uh, at age twenty three, he was elected to the House of Burgesses, uh, which was one of the kind of uh, organizational bodies at the time. Uh, and then he actually was one of the leaders of the Yorktown Tea Party, which dumped 154 pounds of tea into the Yorktown River. So it's not as big as the, the Boston Tea Party, uh, but it's one of the more, but it's another one just like it. And in fact, it was a key point in like kind of getting in that vigor for those people who wanted to revolt against the British. Uh, so it got those people on their verge of revolution. Uh, in 1775, he was elected to fill George Washington's spot in Virginia uh, and the Second Continental Congress, he filled his seat because George Washington was called to be the commander of the Continental Army. And so, uh, nice. kind of goes together. Uh, in 1781, he was elected to succeed Thomas Jefferson as uh, the governor of Virginia. And then, uh, uh, so his, his story is kind of interesting. He, as um, the being in the governor of the state in 1781, which is kind of later in the war, he uh, got together a huge militia of men. Uh, they thought that uh, uh, there was a, there there was a bunch of British forces that were going to crash into the Virginia, and so he actually went around, scrapped up like 300 men. He was like, "We're going to defend it," and they actually ended up going somewhere else for that time. Uh, but then he kind of grew his militia. I think his militia at one point got to like 3,000 men. And uh, he was right in the thick of the battle. And one of the stories from him uh, that I really liked was, well, well, two things. This guy sacrificed, he had a big fortune, like I said. And he, in 1780, he signed a loan uh, from himself uh, of $2 million towards the war effort. Two million bucks in 1780. That's a lot of money. Imagine how much money that is. And he did it against his own collateral, against what he had uh, for the war effort. And um, at the Battle of Yorktown, uh, it was a a pretty bad battle, and it had been going on for several days. And George Washington was there, actually, and French troops as well came up to support. In fact, that was uh, Marquise de Lafayette. He was there as well. And uh, they were at a position where they were on... um, they were shooting cannons and the British had taken over his own house and they were occupying his own house. And, uh, the soldiers were, were shooting, but they didn't want to shoot his house. They knew it was his house cause they respected him. And he's like, guys shoot my house. He said, I'll give five guineas to the first soldier who shoots my house with a cannon. And the guys were still kind of reluctant. So he takes a cannon by himself, aims it at the house, lights it off, fires first can shot at his own house so it just goes to show you know in those days it's not like you have homeowners insurance you know that's destroying his his own property his own fortune to to destroy the british and and then um you know other soldiers got into it and they said that you know six to ten cannonballs like went through his house and uh, it didn't totally destroy his house, but it definitely uh, made an impact if you were inside that thing. Yeah, you that, imagine that's being pretty inside crazy. a house and having a cannonballs come through. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, so uh, it's interesting that uh, at that story uh, that he that he was willing to sacrifice his own house. And, you know, after the war, he 
was kind of left a really poor man. That two million dollar loan that he had made was actually never repaid. You know, he said the government was basically broke. Mm-hmm. He never actually got that paid back. Oh man, getting a bunch of calls here or something. Um, so he never actually got that paid back, and so he was kind of destitute for the rest of his life. In fact, uh, he had eleven children, and at the age of fifty, he died from asthma. So it's just kind of like kind of sad, but you know, it just goes to speak of the sacrifice that he made, uh, his fortune. And that's kind of like what, uh, it says at the, at the end of the declaration of independence. Um, actually one one interesting other point, he was buried in an unmarked grave so that the creditors wouldn't know where his body was. So they couldn't hold it against him, uh, hold it as collateral. And so, um, I thought that was really cool. And uh, one other piece that uh, that's in here is that at the end of the Declaration of Independence, it says that these signers, and it says, for and for support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And I feel like he exemplified you know, that sentence. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, that's, that's a cool story. It, it, it's kind of cool, yeah, maybe were related to him way, 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 way over there. But it's still cool to have those stories of, you know, whether it's just a relative or just a, you know, founding fathers. You know, I, I like that. Yeah, so kind of cool. What's, uh, what, what story, do you, well, the story, I have another cool story that actually has to do with George Washington as well. But oh, you, go, ahead, you, go ahead with that one. You want me to do that one too? Yeah, yeah, go ahead with that one. You sure? Yeah. Okay. So this one is, is kind of cool. Uh, this was about a guy named Christopher Ludwig. He's called the Gingerbread Man. That's kind of a cool nickname. Yeah. But uh, so this guy has an amazing history and just his sacrifice. He sacrificed in a really different way. He wasn't like a war hero. Uh, His story is kind of cool. So at the age of 17, uh, he fought in the Austrian and Persian armies uh, and became familiar with military life uh, doing that. He is a German. He he was a German. Uh, he traveled the world as a as a merchant sailor for eight years, from 1740 to the 1750s. Uh, he came to Pennsylvania in 1754, and he realized that there was a market for gingerbread, uh, like gingerbread, uh, selling gingerbread yeah, yeah. In, the, in Pennsylvania. And so he's like, okay. Uh, he went back to London. He went to London, uh, spent nine months uh, going learning, honing his baking skills and whatnot, and then in 19. 19- uh, not 1754, he set up shop in Pennsylvania with a bakery and he became actually very successful. He ended up owning nine different properties and a farm uh, because of his, he became successful with his bakery. And then the war broke out and uh, he was a, a patriot. And in fact, according, uh, there was the uh, sec- the treasurer of the United States at the time, and also signed signer of the Declaration of Independence. His name was Benjamin Rush. He spoke about this guy's character. He said he was much esteemed by all who did business with him for his integrity and punctuality, and for his disposition to do kind offices. Yeah, and so very good guy and a self-made man. Yeah, exactly. And then so during the Revolutionary War, he was so grateful for the opportunities that America had provided him. Uh, and his family, because his wife was right alongside him, uh, and that he was very eager to join in the effort. Uh, he actually purchased a lot of arms uh, and weapons for the for the soldiers, and uh, 
and had that. And one of the things that I don't know if you remember that there were lots of Haitian mercenaries that the that the uh, British had hired to come fight, and he was an advocate for working with those POWs to ask, telling them how great America was and say, come on, come over to dissent, join America and like, see how great it is to live here. It's great. I build a life here. I've, I've been, there's freedom here. And just, lo- just to clarify. So Haitian, uh, mercenaries, that's, that's not like from Haiti. No, that's from Germany. Germany. Germany yeah, yeah. German. Uh, yeah. The German, uh, mercenaries, basically a, a, a hired army uh, by the British and um, it's kind of funny that a, actually a lot of them did uh, dissent and come over, and he would help them acclimate to American life and teach them uh, how great America was and how to get um, uh, you know just acclimated to the life around here. I think that's so cool how he was so uh, such a patriot in that sense, and he was an immigrant himself. He really just adopted that American lifestyle, and then he helped others uh, do the same. And so one of the one interesting things is that he became, uh, in kind of the late 1770s, he became the Baker General of the Constitutional Army uh, and was uh, made sure that every camp had the proper stoves, supplies, and right people with the right skills. So at the time, uh, he actually commanded a... a a company of over 70 bakers and uh, so quite quite a bit and at the time oh previous to him the bakers would say get x many pounds of flour from the government they said okay here's the flour for the war effort and these bakers would bake all the stuff they had to and then they would take up to 30 percent of it for their own use and sell it in their own bakeries and so they were kind of they're basically stealing from the government and this guy was like no we're not having any of that so he put stop to all that and he uh, basically refined this this whole thing. So he was at Valley Forge uh, in the winter of 1777-1778, and he fed all those men during that winter. You talked about how much that, winter can kill those guys. Yep, that was the winter that I was mainly talking about. And that's he was there, man. He was feeding those guys, and that's what, I mean, that's a hero in his own right. I mean, you talk about war heroes, and you talk about this guy was feeding those guys. Really cool. And uh, then at the Battle of Yorktown, where the Cornwallis surrendered, um, he was charged, ordered by George Washington to make uh, 6,000 pounds of bread over the course of a day, or, or two or three days. And um, so him and his wife, which I think is really cool, him and both his wife uh, made that. And I'm sure they had some other people do, but his wife was with him that whole time and she was working with him. So she was an American patriot as well. And I'm sure that she was involved. You know, we don't have that much of a history on her, but we know that she... It said that she was involved with that. Her name was um, Catherine England Ludwig. And so uh, kind of cool there. And, you know, whether they gave those cakes to some of the British soldiers that had surrendered, you know, it's possible. Uh, but he was there, and he, he helped support that war effort. Uh, just a little bit more about, so after the war, he got back, and he really found that his, his estate was in shambles. Uh, he had lost lots of livestock. He had lots of his buildings were in shambles. He lost most, most of his wealth. Uh, he spent the next five years petitioning the government for some restitution because uh, he had put in a lot of money, um, and he only got a very small amount back <clears throat> back in the end. Excuse me. In fact, uh, he actually petitioned George Washington to, to write a letter uh, to Congress and say, hey, can you kind of vouch for me? <clears throat> and this is what George Washington said. He said, I have known Mr. Uh, Ludwig uh, from an early period of the war and have every reason to believe as well from observation as information that he has been a true and faithful friend and servant to public to the public. 
that he has detected and exposed many impositions which were attempted to be practiced by others in his department. That's that 30% I was talking mm-hmm. about, the scraping off the top. Uh, that he has been the cause of much saving in many respects and that his department in uh, deportment and public life has afforded unquestionable proofs of his integrity and worth. With respect to his losses, I have no personal knowledge, but have often heard that he has uh, suffered from his zeal in the cause of this country. So that's quite quite the uh, the letter recommendation, recommendation letter. Yeah. Washington, a, a good friend. You call him a good friend. And interestingly enough, he died at year eighty years of age, in really, eight, in eighteen oh one. So like double life expectancy. So I think that's a really cool story of a patriot, not necessarily a war hero, someone who was an immigrant. They came here. Uh, they wanted to create a better life, and they did that. And they had the support of his loving wife. You know, they say behind every great man is, a, is, a, is an amazing wife, right? I completely agree with that. <laughs> and so uh, I think that's a cool story. Yeah. I, I, I like the point of that story that he was actually an immigrant, right? And so he came over and he saw the the potential and the opportunity with this great country in and of itself. And, uh, and he fought for that. I mean, he, he, he sacrificed for that. And I think there's a lot of, of even immigrants today that have, have the opportunity to come and either work in the United States or, or live and, 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 and grow and meet people. And I think many of those people would probably say similar that the United States is, is an amazing place to be, even with the the the, the some of the confusion and, and unrest that exists today. I think a lot of them would say, "I would prefer to stay than go back." Absolutely, and not only that is that I like that he adopted the American lifestyle. He adopted, he added his uniqueness to America, and he also helped others adapt. And he became a patriot, and mm-hmm. he loved this country, and he loved what it stood for. He put his money and everything in, and you know, it's sad that at the end of the war, you know, he couldn't get a lot of his money back because. Basically, the country is broke, but you know I, I appreciate his sacrifice, and and I'm sure all those soldiers did on those cold winter nights in 1778. Have a little bit of bread to eat. Yeah, yeah. I um, that's a good story. the la- The last uh, patriot that that I um, wanted to talk about was uh, something that that kind of hits a little bit close to home, right? So I want to talk about Francis Marion. Um, so that's a good one. Yeah. So Francis Marion, the, the, the swamp Fox is, is, is basically what his nickname was. And, um, I say it's close to home because our grandmother lives in the Francis Marion national forest. And that's where my dad grew up for most of his life. Um, I guess our dad. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> hey, and also I drive through there every time I go to the beach. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's close, it's close by. And so, uh, it's called the Francis Marion National Forest, and just it's a swamp. <laughs> yeah, it's a swamp. That's why they call them the Swamp Fox. But uh, one of the 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 coolest stories that I think actually in the movie The Patriot, um, that that with, main, Mel, with Mel Gibson, yeah, with Mel Gibson, that main character, he's kind of a conglomerate of a couple historical guys. Um, but one of the people that they based a lot of his um, a lot of the the movie off of was Francis Marion. And one of the, the things that they would do is that they knew the swamps of South Carolina and the South really, really well. I mean, they knew them well. And so there's a lot of things in those swamps that uh, you don't want to mess with, especially at night. And Alligators. Yeah, alligators and, and, and just all kinds of stuff that's just, there's it, it's super easy to get lost and disorientated and, and everything else. So um, they would uh, go and attack the British 
and then they would run, and him and his troops, and then when they would get to the edge of the swamp, they would turn around and they would wave at the British, and then they would go into the swamp. Come and get us. Yeah, come and get us, because they knew that those British, if they had any experience at all, they would not follow them. And you can't get any artillery or horses in there. Nope. You're basically just one, men going through the swamp, and then you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You're, you're focusing on the environment, and you get taken out. Yeah, but if you know the environment, if you know the path, there's there, there's probably certain trails and paths and safe ground that 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 Francis Marion and his guys under his his control or under his um uh control command, command, command is yeah. what the word I was looking for under his command um that you know they they knew all that stuff and so that's just one of the, one of the coolest stories and I know that uh, I mean him just being a a a patriot and using his environment to fight, fight invading forces right and to fight the british um, yeah that's like that's a great I, francis marion is a great story that reminds me of like one of the cool stories about charlotte north carolina is where we, where we the area where we live uh they said that i think there was a letter that was sent by a british general to um general cornwallis that said that charlotte was a hornet's nest of rebellion and so that's where the charlotte hornets the basketball team that name comes from uh is because you know people didn't give up man or the, or the the Tar Heels, right? The name the Tar Heels. You know where that comes from? Yeah, they said that um, that when the 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 boys from the good old boys from North Carolina went into battle, it was like they they would never retreat, right? It was yeah. like their heels were stuck to the ground with tar. Yeah, I think that's that's yeah, that is it. That sounds yeah. like that's like a Spartan thing, man. Like never retreat, never never either, surrender. Either, either yeah. come back on your shield or with it, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's cool. Uh-huh. But like you know, those stories of patriotism, those stories of of people who died so that I today can have my freedoms. I just appreciate that so much. And that makes me think, what am I doing? What sacrifices am I making so that my kids, uh, you know, can, can benefit off of that? Cause a lot of these people, at least the people I shared my stories with, they did not really benefit at all from this. In fact, their lives were almost ruined, but their children's lives and the generations after that immensely affected. So I think that's just a, a such a cool and powerful long sightedness that we see lacking these days. People just are short-sighted or they don't have that delayed gratification. I mean, doing things for your great-grandchildren is kind of out of some people's minds. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And and it's, yeah, foregoing that immediate gratification that uh, that in today's day and age with basically we live in a day and age of instant gratification um, is a lot different than, um, you know, back then basically giving up everything that you had built up, even your family's entire fortune. You know, imagine having $2 million or, you know, back then, maybe a $200 million today. And giving it all to and the giving cause. And giving it all to the cause in hopes that your family and your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren will have a better life. And it's like, well, you know, will $200 million give them a better life or will freedom and independence give them a better life? Yeah, because I mean, you think about those guys who were rich, and you know, people knock on the rich. And say, oh, they were way, way better off. But yeah, I mean, those guys were rich, and they still gave everything. I mean, they, they could have been totally fine under the British rule. And they would have been. I mean, with two million bucks, or you know, you could live a nice life. But he decided to give all that way, not just. I don't think just selfishly, but for the people and for the cause of what it meant. So. Kind of cool. His name is, in, or at least you know, some of these guys' names are enshrined on the Declaration of Independence, and and some of them are not, and I think they're equally important. Yeah. 
I completely agree. So uh, the question we have is, uh, who is your favorite founding father out there? Yes, so, and uh, if you have one, share it with us. Or maybe not founding father, but or or, or American hero. Um, uh, so definitely share that with us. I think this has been a great discussion, a great podcast. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, we really appreciate the support we've been getting, and uh, we've been uh, filming them. We're actually putting this one on YouTube as well, so check our, our videos out on YouTube, and you can see our shining faces. Yeah, and uh, follow us on Instagram yep. at a.brothers.creed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we always post before our episodes released, kind of teasers and different things like that. So maybe some inside stuff about the episode, or or some pictures from people that we interview, which is kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's uh, let's continue to to have some more great podcasts, and let's build our creed together. <laughs>